And welcome to another episode of the Chivas del Norte podcast. My name is Varo, and with me today, friend of the pod, Melissa, who covers the uh, Chivas Family English account. How are you, Melissa? Fine, doing great. I mean, 4-0 win to start the season can get, get much better than that. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect start. Like, even for, like, new fans, that's a perfect, like, way to keep people coming back. For yeah, you. I hope they don't get... Uh, too excited because I don't know what's going to happen afterward <laughs> but you know we had a, a great match to to hook people in and get more Chivas fans yeah I mean that that was probably maybe the second most exciting Chivas game I've watched for the feminine side I like I remember the final was like really exciting because they were down what 3-0 I think to Pachuca 2-0 or 2-0 yeah uh, and that comeback was just insane but this yeah, was think- a really good game Exciting games that, that that I remember recently. It's probably yeah the final, the four two against America on regular season, and there was also a four three win against Leon that was really fun because it was they they just kept scoring on each other and that was like really fun one to watch. But yeah, I mean I think they they really did have the a great start. I mean I think they they were favored to win, but I didn't expect it to be like by this wide a margin. Yeah, um, I, we'll get into the Chivas and Juarez game a little bit more into the pod, but um, let's just start talking about um, Chivas Femenil and Liga MX Femenil like overall. Like, I know you know more than I would. Like, how how effective were they by COVID nineteen? Because I know they didn't even get a chance to finish up the matches for the for the week when they got called off, right? Yeah, the, the last two matches played, I think it can remember if it was a Cruz Azul one, but Chivas were actually one of the, the last teams to play, and they played like closed doors. They didn't have any fans. Right. That was all the way back in March, and then it was just waiting and seeing if they were going to restart the season, and then they finally suspended it. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, of how hard COVID hit, we did see a lot of players leaving or being cut off from teams. Mm-hmm. Um, they were over a hundred players caught. Wow. And I mean, that's also including that technically Monarcas Morelia dissolving counts as a, as player departures because not, not all of them found teams. I think I saw somewhere, someone tweet that like half of the players, like 50 did find new teams, but some others, uh, did some of them retired or, or didn't continue playing. Like I saw, uh, Maria Cruz Alley, who was like the Monarcas captain, and she was like a really standout player for them. She, I think she posted on, on her Facebook page that she was retiring. So oh, wow. we'll see what happens because she was like a really good player. So yeah, I mean, in terms of, of COVID affecting teams, yeah, they, they did take a hit and we saw like Tigres dropping nine players, America dropping 14 players. So yeah, all over uh, people were making cuts like left and right of players. Um, did, I don't think Chivas was one of the teams that made a lot of cuts, right, because of COVID-19? No, actually, Nelly Simon did go on record, and they, they released, like, a video with the sporting directors and with Amaury, I think. Mm-hmm. And Nelly did, like, explicitly say, we're not cutting anyone unless they want to go. So we, we want to give, like, our players the certainty that they, they can keep their job if they want to. So that's why um, Chivas didn't release anyone except for we have uh, Ana Paula Rubalcaba, who left for college right like so that she decided to to go but actually she's she's still registered with the team so i think that that was maybe like a precautionary measure in case like with covid or anything happens 
So she's, she's still registered if they need her. She can play because she lives in Guadalajara, so it's not that hard like to keep her on roster. And then if she is needed, she can she can join. Okay, and um, just a question about the Monarchas team. Did Mazatlan start up a uh, women's team? Yeah, because uh, it's uh, mandatory. Like oh, to okay. be in first division, they really do have to to have a team. Uh, I remember that Puebla, I think, and Lobos, some of the teams asked for extensions. Like they said, we have to sit out these six months so we can build one. But Mazatlan, I, I saw them play yesterday against Atlas, and they they really were able to get a lot of experienced players. I think that 10 out of their 30 players are from Monarcas and some others from, from other teams. Like I saw two San Luis players, um, that I used to watch here in San Luis, they, they went over there too. So they're not like starting completely from scratch. That their players have previous experience in the league, so that's going to help them too. Okay, yeah, I just wasn't sure if um, because you said a lot of them got cut, so I figured why wouldn't they all just sign with Mazatlan? But um, I guess they all don't want to relocate and stuff. Yeah, it was hard because I think that the salaries were not that great, and Mazatlan is like also a city that has a very high cost of living. So maybe it wasn't as easy for some of them to like make the the trip and like adapt to living there. Yeah, I think I was reading that based on like the salary that the Monarcas players were getting, they wouldn't be able to afford like where to live in Mazatlan. Housing. Yeah, yeah because housing. The, the club wasn't offering them housing. Like I know some some clubs um they may not pay that much, but they offer like uh housing on the on the on the team's clubhouse or, and stuff. Like some of the Chivas players do still live on, on the clubhouse. Like even the senior team players, some of the ones that come from, from outside Guadalajara and some of the younger ones, they choose to live there too. Oh, okay. All right, yeah, cool. Ruby Soto was actually one of the ones that, that was living in the in the clubhouse. Oh man, Ruby Soto. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get started on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, that's great to see um, Nelly Simone and uh, Pelaez Namauri like once again, you know, we talked about it before when you were on the pod that it really looks like they're all like all in on the women's team and, you know, not to let to not let COVID-19 affect the women's team for Chivas is a great is a great sign of what they have, you know, planned for the future. And Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen the commitment in terms of improving conditions and, and just like, yeah, that gesture of saying we're we are keeping everyone. Um, it's just like great to see from, from the team. Yep. All right, so let's talk a little of uh, Chivas Femenil stuff. Um, we lost a couple of players this uh, off season, right? They got, like you said, Ana Paula left. I, I thought, I read that it was like a early retirement, but it, I didn't know that it was to go to college. And then they lost uh, Karen Loya to her loan ended at Chivas. And then, of course, the one that hurt the most, Ruby Soto, <laughs> made the trip to Villarreal. I mean, I'm happy for her, but, you know, we lose. Probably, we lost my favorite player on Chivas Femenil up till now. Yeah, with, with Karen Loya, it was also, like, really sad because she seemed to, to, to be really excited about being with Chivas, but she got injured during the preseason. She injured her back, so we never really saw her play. So that really sucked for her, and then she returned to Juarez, but... Yeah, I mean, sometimes that happens. And Ruby Soto, well, she was like the standout player for the team. I was like looking at the some of the stats and like all the things that she brought over to the team in the past year were incredible. But I mean, I'm glad she 
she was able to make the move. I, mean, I think she hasn't left for Spain yet. She's still here in Mexico. Well, we we should probably be seeing her over there soon. Yeah, I think yeah, she's she's still in Mexico because um, like we follow her on the she was on the Instagram account and she posts stories like every now and then. But yeah, I think she's still in Mexico. Yeah, and I was that tweet you put out the other day um of like all the leading numbers in Chivas and it was like basically all Ruby Soto. I was like, wow, that's gonna be hard to replace. Yeah, because she was not just like the standout offensive player. She was also doing a lot in terms of covering the defense on the right side of the team. So I was also wondering, like, how, how are we going to solve this? Because she was uh, seemingly going to be irreplaceable. And I don't think that we're going to have to have another Ruby Soto. And we shouldn't try to make like any other player into her. But yeah, I mean, it was a, a, a big loss in terms of everything she she brought to the team but i mean it was for the for the best and hopefully she has a a great season at villarreal and i'm definitely going to be uh posting like following on her as soon as she arrives there in spain yeah for sure i hope we can find links to those games too because just you know right off the bat this week trying to find a link for the game um against Juarez was kind of hard like <laughs> i went through like five minutes of pop-ups just to get the stream <laughs> to finally work <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I actually also was a bit off, my head was a bit off from the game because I got a lot of messages and people wanting to watch, and it was amazing because I think this is the, the season where I've seen the most hype around the league, but also I'm seeing like a lot of people from the States trying to watch and trying to find out more about the league. Like I know that even some people from the NWSL LA supporters group, they're watching now the league and they watch the Chivas match. And it, for some of them, it was their first Liga MX match. So maybe we can turn them all into Chivas fans. <laughs> we can just keep growing the fan base in the States. Well, ye- yesterday we got some really good news when it comes to that. Um, for the United States, at least, um, El Mundo Deportes app is going to be streaming the Youth Academy and the women's games on their app. So we're not going to have to struggle to find links for home games. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. Do you have like a little bit of, of more of information in terms of how the app works? Do you have to pay or it's just like download and watch? I think you just download and watch because um, the Chivas games, I you can stream it on the phone too. And uh, you just pull it up and watch. So I don't think you have to sign up for anything. Maybe put in your email or something. But uh, I, like if you got to pay, uh, I'm pretty sure you don't. Okay, so no, that's amazing news. I was so happy when I saw that yesterday because at least, you know, half of the matches people are going to be able to see over there like with no issues. And I think that's going to be awesome for the team. I mean, if they keep playing as well as they're playing too, that's going to like increase a lot of the, the team's profile and also the club's profile over there. And then we were, what, departures? I think we, we've covered that. Um, yeah. Oh, for the so people don't bother you, Melissa, for the link. Well, not bother you, but asking for the link. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say we can try to revive the the Chivas Discord we have and just drop the link in there. I know we weren't doing it before because it was kind of through Chivas TV and we were like just support Chivas. But um, this this one for the women's games, there's really not a way to like support them by not pirating. They're kind of forcing us to do it. Yeah, I think it, it would be great to have like a channel for the women's team and then like I, I can jump in and like if anybody wants to know more about the team, I can answer questions there too. Yeah, definitely. Um, so okay. we'll just try to reboot that up again this week, I guess. Um, but yeah, you want to talk about signings. Um, 
we have potentially my new favorite Chivas Femenino player. <laughs> the, the next recipient of the Battle Blessing course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of signings, it was interesting because it, there, there were like four signings, but you could tell like the, the focus from Nelly Simon was to bring in players with a lot of experience. Like we have uh, Caro Jaramillo, who is from formerly from Tigres. She was like... She didn't get like many minutes uh, because I think she had some injuries. But you mm -hmm. know, she has two titles. She comes from one of the best teams in the league. So she's someone who is used to pressure and who is used to performing, you know, at the highest level. And she's a midfielder. And then it was uh, Fernanda Ayala, who was formerly from Morelia and also at Veracruz. And so she's a, a goalkeeper that has a lot of experience playing. So she, she's not someone new to the league. And then there's also Diana Madrigal, who is coming from the youth squad, which is also great to see because other, one of the other things that Nelly has always like stressed is that she really wants the, the youth team to be providing players. And Diana was actually at the preseason they did at Mazatlán last December. And she had been training with the team like the full year, well, from January to March, which, which was when there were... There was a season, and so she's not a stranger to the team either. I mean, she's someone who, who has been developing with them. She plays as a centre-back, which is like the, the one of the positions that the team has uh, the most covered, but I think it's also be going to be great for her to be surrounded with players with experience that she can learn from. So it's going to be interesting for her to be with someone like Janely Farias, who is like a national team player, or Miriam Garcia, who has also been with the national team in the youth level. And it's going to be, I think, that a great thing for her to be able to to grow and develop, and to keep training, you know, at the at the highest level possible. And then we we go over to your new favorite player, Alicia Cervantes. <laughs> She's also got like a really interesting backstory because she came from Atlas. She started the when the league started three years ago. She was playing with Atlas, and then she was like one of their top scorers, and she asked for a raise because. And this is how things were uh, at the beginning of the league for everyone. Some teams, some teams have improved, but not all of them. And she was getting like 1,500 pesos a month. So she said, look, guys, I'm not even getting enough for my boss. So, like, give me a raise. And they didn't give it to her. So she decided to... I don't know if she decided or she wasn't even, like, taken into consideration, but she sat out, like, a full season. And she didn't play. And then Rayadas... Uh, pick her up and she won one league title with them and she was like she wasn't a starter but she was like a very consistent uh, backup player for them and, and she was really performing well and I think that uh, when I was checking because I started checking players who were going to be out of a contract during the off season, I had her on my list and I thought I, I think she could be a good fit for the team and I kind of had her in my sights and when she announced she was leaving Rayadas, I was like, oh, I hope she comes over to Chivas because we could really use a player like her. And then when they announced the signing, I was so happy because she really seemed to be a good fit for the team because we, we needed like a striker. Chivas has never had like a one reliable striker that takes over all the goals for the team. It's always like been more a collective effort, scoring. And I think that she could grow into that role. And then during the preseason, I would see Nelly Simone because I always say that Nelly, she's always dropping these hints during her interviews. And she was talking about all the signings and that they were all great. But then when she got to, to talking about 
Alicia Cervantes, you could see her, her eyes light up and say, no, she really wants to be here. And she's such a great, a big Chivas fan. And then I, I started thinking again, okay, I think that I was, my gut feeling was right about her. I think that she's going to do well. And she she's also seemed like a, a player who was really hungry to to be with Chivas and because she's a, a fan of the team, but also because I think that she feels this need to like prove herself again as a starter for a for a big team. And she did get the quite the, the dream debut with Chivas too. Oh yeah. To she got a brace. Yeah, it could could have been a hat trick, but yeah, she hit the crossbar, right? Like early, mm -hmm. early in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like on the fourth minute, I think she she hit the crossbar. But yeah, I mean, I think that also credit to Nelly because um, she's not only looking for players who fit in terms of what the team needs, but she also seems to really look into the the players as people and whether they they know about the team or they really want to be in the club and stuff like that. I mean, I think that she's doing a good job on both fronts, like in terms of bringing in quality, but also bringing in people who can really add to, to what the roster already has. Yeah, I've been watching like a couple of the Nelly Simone interviews at the upload and like something she keeps saying in a lot of them is the the champion's DNA. So you see it with um, Alisa Cervantes and then you see it with Carolina Jaramillo, you know, both they both won the league. They both know what it takes. And that's great for like a young team to bring in. And they're not even like veterans, I would say, because they're so... I think they're both 26 still, so they're relatively young. And, you know, you have a younger squad, so they're kind of like that mentor already. Yeah, I mean, and I think that if, if the team wants to keep staying relevant, they really have to bring in that level and that caliber of players to, to the roster. Um, Chivas hasn't had really a large turnover of players. Like, a lot of the players who were still in the, in the first season are still on the team. So I think that that sort of renewal is is really coming for the for the roster and for the team. So I'm glad that they're really bringing in players who who can deliver and like you said, players who have faced that pressure. Because Chivas, even at their worst, is still going to be pressured. Um, it's still going to be like a big club with a lot of history, and that's we need players who can respond to that. Of course, and then just to touch a little more on uh, Alicia Cervantes, um, she. She was making 1,500 pesos a month, and then she asked for a raise, and they didn't want to give it to her. Imagine that happened for, like, the men's team, where, like, you're... And, and she scored nine goals in 13 games. So imagine, like, your best scorer asked for a raise in the men's team, and you say no. Like, the fans would riot. Like, it'd be all over the place. I know it's Atlas, but still. <laughs> all right, so full, uh, full transparency. Um, we have recorded the original audio for this podcast on... What was it, Sunday afternoon, Melissa? Yeah, I think it was Sunday. Yeah, we recorded Sunday afternoon as I'm editing the pod. Um, I don't know what happened, but the audio started glitching out. And we were only able to save the first 18 minutes of the, our original conversation. But um, we're just going to pick up where we left off. And uh, we're just going to keep it moving, keep the episode moving. So, um, Melissa, I was saying, you know, Alisa Cervantes, imagine that situation happening on a men's team. And, you know, the fans would riot. And now I hope she gets her payback when the time comes. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think of, about all these things that happened at the Women's League in terms of conditions and how I think that it's gotten better in, the, in terms of there being better conditions for the players, but also in terms of the media bringing more awareness to these issues. So I think that if that happened now, 
at least there, there would be like a more public outcry on the topic. But yeah, I mean, I can't wait for, for Cervantes to bring that grudge over to the Clásico Tapatio. Exactly. And she kissed the, the crest on the, her first goal against Juarez. Yeah, the, the funny thing with some of the signings, like you can tell, oh, they come from Tigres or they come from Rayadas or whatever team they're coming from. And then they're doing like uh, team related stuff on social media. And you can see that they have like these old Chivas jerseys that they obviously <laughs> did not buy after they got signed. So I think that there's a lot more of the players who who were Chivas fans before, but just they, they were trying to be professional and not, not mention it. Because even I remember there's a, a photo of Blanca Felix when she was like a teenager uh, at the Akron Stadium, and she has posted it before, like saying that this was the first time I went to the Akron, and I, I was so happy. So you can tell that a lot of them really are Chivas fans. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to see, like, the deep roots, the the fanship that they already have coming into the club, you know, that means they're just going to try that much harder to, to succeed at Chivas. Yeah, I think that, that Cervantes has like that combination of wanting to prove herself in her career, but also like a, a real love for the team. So I think she was a, a great fit on all fronts for the team. Yep. All right, let's talk about next. Let's talk about um, our coaching situation at Chivas Femenil. Um, it was... A sudden change that came out of nowhere. They got rid of uh, Villa, and now Shorty Mejia is the new Chivas Femenil head coach, and he got off to a great start. Yeah, I mean, that was, like, really out of nowhere because if you saw the, the interviews with Nelly Simon, she was really, really committed to keeping coach Villa. I mean, mm-hmm. I have my disagreements with him. <laughs> I don't think it was, like, necessarily 10-level disagreements, but, yeah, I mean, there were some things that I didn't like about the way he, he coached the team. But Nelly seemed like really, really committed in terms of, of giving him the continuity because also, I mean, in all fairness, the first time he, the first season, they qualified to Liguilla and then they had to play against America. But it was also like the day Jorge Vergara passed away. And it was like, I was there for that match at the, at the Akron and the atmosphere and all the players like felt really like shocked about what had happened. So they didn't really play, like, they weren't really mentally there. And then, like, on his second season, he didn't even get to, to see how, how he could right. do at, at Liguilla. So I thought, okay, maybe I don't love this guy, but it kind of makes sense to, to give him, like, an extra season to, to prove what he can do on, on the on the Liguilla situations. But, yeah, I mean, obviously something big happened because everything pointed that, to things being okay with him. And then suddenly, like, they released this statement that it was also, like, a very harsh-worded statement saying that values were important and, you know, kind of, like, giving, like, the indication that something major uh, went on because to have fired him, like, two weeks or three weeks before the season started, and we don't know nothing yet, like, nothing has been leaked about if it was an incident or what was like the specific thing that led to that. So, I mean, we can only have our guesses, but the team like was like in a situation of, okay, we need to figure this out really fast. And there were rumors that Maribel Dominguez could be hired as a coach for the team. And then out of a sudden, the, we had like the announcement of Edgar Chore Mejia as the coach. And to be honest, I was like a little bit skeptical at first because he didn't really have or I thought he didn't have much experience. and But it kind of makes sense, too, because you want someone 
who is like fully from from Chivas, who can adapt more quickly, who knows the club, who knows what what Chivas is about. And I mean, I, I started like to see his interviews, and he seems genuinely excited and really committed to to being the coach for the team. And he also mentioned that he was an assistant for Fernando Camacho during the first seasons for the team, and that he would always like watch the games and try to be like aware of what was going on with the team. So he's not a complete stranger, and he already knew some of the players. So like listening to him speak was really really reassuring because you also get the sense that he's a person who who is open, like and a bit more flexible. Because I feel like with Villa, the issue sometimes it was that. He was like a very closed person in his decision making. And like Mejia has not been shy, like about saying, look, I know that I, I may not have like the most experience or may not be like the most specialized person, but I know my, my shortcomings and I'm willing to work with others to to get, get that support and be the best coach I can be. So I think that it might be like end up being a good move in terms of he seems to be someone who can like build trust with the players and someone who who you know had some sort of knowledge of the team because the last time they they appoint, appointed a coach who was from inside the club it was with Manuel Diaz and that went awful because he even like said like publicly I didn't know anything about women's football and and kind of surprised, like, no, no, even though they're women, they, they play really well. And that's like not something you want to hear yeah. from your coach. And I think that even though apparently it could be the same situation here, I'm sure that also having now Nelly as a sporting director is going to help in terms of her being able to speak with, with Jordan and telling him, you know, the differences and in, in how to how to deal with, with the team more effectively. Yeah, of course. And then... You also said that he he watches the games with his daughters and stuff a lot, right? Like he posts a lot about that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like like um, the feminine following the feminine team was something that was really like integrated in his life, and he sounded really genuine. So hopefully that also will help. And looks like it really did help because they got a good result to begin the season with. Oh yeah, and um, you know he definitely made his mark on the team because. You know, I know you were surprised by the starting lineup. I'm not too familiar with the regular starting lineup, but you said that there were a lot of changes in it, right? Yeah, I mean, like the the system he used was like a four three three, which is the the most common formation Chivas has used, like even across different coaches. Mm-hmm. But the way he set up the team was like really really different. Um, if you see, like I compared the the lineups from March and the lineup from Thursday. And, I mean, on goal, you still have, like, Blanca Felix, who's, like, the undisputed goalkeeper for the team. Mm-hmm. But then, like, on defense and overall, like, the full right flank for the team is completely different. Um, You have Michelle Gonzalez, who had her Chivas debut, even though she signed uh, a year ago, but she was injured. And I I had her, like, a, as, a, as a midfielder, so that's also why I was confused, because I remember she was signed as a midfielder, and... When she was the Leon captain, she played as a midfielder. So then when I when I saw the lineup, I, I thought, what, he's only going to field one center back or what's going on here? But no, then I started doing more research and it turns out Michelle Gonzalez uh, has also played as a center back on her previous teams with Pachuca. So it's kind of interesting to see if we are going to, to be able to have her on both roles. But she did a, a pretty good job. 
And then the midfield, um, we have Carolina Jaramillo, Susan Bejarano, and Isabella Gutierrez, who is Gutierrez is like a very young player. She's 16, but she's doing pretty well. And she's uh, she come in she came in from the youth squad last last season. So you are seeing like the full right side being completely redesigned, and I think that's also intentional because we had mentioned that. Ruby Soto is no longer there. So I think that Chore, one of the things he had to figure out was how are we going to set up the team if we are missing like our best player? Also, we were wondering like who's going to step in on the right wing for the team. And he used Norma Palafox, which I think was a really good move. Um, Norma did great on the match. I, I really liked her performance. And like overall you could see you could see the, the team's right side was really solid, like all across the from defense to mid and offense. They were really great. Um in terms of of like passing accuracy, uh both our right back and our right uh, center back, they were among the, the players with the most accuracy in passing. And then Isabella Gutierrez uh created two chances and she also held her own when facing like the rival players. And Norma Palafox, I know, and I haven't really addressed this, but I know she gets like a lot of negative attention because people say, oh no, like they only feel her because she's popular and she's like a pretty face. But I think we we kind of undervalue her because on the first seasons for the team, she was like a really valuable piece on attack. I mean, she scored the, the winning goal for the title, but she's also always been like a very... Uh, an athlete who is in like in fantastic shape. I mean, you could see her at Texatlón because being successful at Texatlón is not easy. I mean, you really have to be in a really good physical shape to to succeed there. And then when she came back, I mean, obviously, not having played for six months, you are going to miss like that timing and that touch on the ball. So I think that she's getting that back. And just looking overall at how the the team performed as a whole, you can see that. Even though Ruby Soto's no longer there, we had like nine crosses from the left side and eight from the right. So that means that, that you are creative uh, on both sides. It's it's kind of balanced there. Because sometimes I think that the team relied too much on having Ruby Soto, so everything was charged on the right side. And now like being able to see this balance and like Palafox also provided an assist. I think it, it bodes well for the team in terms of like trying to to cover up for that lack of Ruby during the season. Yeah, I think that's a good sign for the team. Like being so balanced on the wing, and you're right, they depending so much on Ruby Soto. Remember that. I keep going back to that graphic you tweeted, and it's like Ruby Soto is like the head, the lead of everything. I'm like, what are they going to do to replace her? And you know, in his first game, he maybe he already kind of has a plan in motion. You know, to to make up for the loss of Ruby Soto. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was like one of our main concerns. I mean, we knew that that Licha and Caro were coming in and they were good players, but we didn't know if they were really going to like be in sync right from the start, which they did. And I think that's also credit to, to the work that they did during preseason. When your signings come in on fire, I mean, that's a really, really, really good sign. And yeah, I mean, I think it's all about finding that balance because... Chivas has always been like a team that, that doesn't rely on a like a single goal scorer. You don't have someone like the Ciremon Cibayas with 70 goals right up front. But being able to, to keep that, and I think that also Maria Sanchez, who wasn't able to play a lot 
last season because she was with the national team. Mm -hmm. She also seems to find her footing with the team and she did fantastic. I mean, she created eight chances. She had some assists and also like being able to find uh, people who can set those set pieces in motion was really important because those are like really good opportunities to create chances for the team. And also something that maybe sometimes I, I was a bit critical with Villa was that he tried like too hard. He overthought set pieces a lot and you saw like these weird experiments, which, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna also complain fully because we did have some interesting goals from that, but sometimes you just need to take like a more direct approach. And I think that with Mejia, we saw that. And just having someone with like Maria Sanchez, who is like a left-footed player, being able to to be there for for the free kicks in the corners, and also I think Isabella Gutierrez, who even though is quite, she's quite young, she's stepping in on that role of saying, you know, I want to I want to to do this. I think that that's also like a nice extra for the team. Yeah, you mentioned the set pieces on their Villa. I think I remember a couple of the free kicks, right? They would act like they they weren't really communicating, and then just take it out of nowhere. I, I yeah, remember they, them they scoring on like one or two of them, right? Yeah, I remember, I think they, they tried that three times. The first time they scored against Cruz Azul, it was Tania Morales who, who in the end had the, the finish. And then the second time it was on the preseason friendly at Manzanillo and they also scored. And then the third time it was against San Luis. But I remember that Tania wasn't, I think, on the on the pitch and they didn't convert that. But yeah, I mean, those things were like fun. And I mean, I think I, I do think that sometimes you have to step out of the box with, with set pieces. But sometimes it was like too much. Like they could have just gone simpler and be more effective and they didn't do that. So it's also kind of refreshing to see them go back to that. I think that also something that we haven't really seen from the team in a while is like long and mid-distance shots because they do have players with that power, but we haven't really seen them try. Okay. Yeah, I remember the commentary the, for the San Luis game. I remember the commentator like making fun of the Chivas feminine players, like they don't know what they're doing and whatever. And I was like, well, actually, that's <laughs> that they do that on purpose. And like, I felt I felt good about that. I was like, oh, look, I, I know more than this guy right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes they make fun of the players because they don't know what they're doing, but actually the people who don't know what they're doing are yeah, the, the commentators. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, that's our bread and butter with the with the women's league. We know that we're, we can't expect too much from, from, the, from the booth, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, hopefully we'll see them maybe try that sometime. But from what I've seen, like Chore's style is like more direct in that sense. Yeah. And um, for like Norma Palafox, I was really happy she had a really good performance because, like you said, she's a uh, she's criticized sometimes for like the wrong reasons that like off the field stuff that has nothing to do with how she plays or how it affects her training. And I like that she addresses it. Like you know, she does her TikToks or she has a, a lot of sponsorships, which is great because you know the women don't make as much money as the men, and they have to look for these sponsorships to make the money. But um, but she always says, you know, these things don't get in the way of my training or my form of playing with Chivas and against Juarez, you know, it showed. I think it was her best game in a while to me because I know she had been sent. She had been benched. She wasn't starting regularly anymore. Yeah, I mean, and that's also like a whole different issue. I think that sometimes people criticize too much uh, the women players for saying, oh, no, they're just doing their social media or modeling and they don't care. 
But we also need to take, take into consideration that they're not making as much money. So for them being able to build that kind of like personal brand, it can be a real difference for them in terms of being able to get sponsorships and more money. And also, I mean, like like she said, you, you really don't see the lack of commitment. I mean, you look at her, the way she runs and the way she moves on the pitch, she's definitely really fit to play. I mean, it's not like we're seeing her walking on the pitch or anything. And I think that's kind of like a bit unfair that she catches so much attention because of like the presence she is on social media. And maybe like as fans, we should be like a bit more objective and like look at what she did. I mean, a match where you had like eight crosses and one assist is a really good match. Yeah. And if any other player had done that, we wouldn't be saying anything. But people don't seem to be able to look past that. And, I, and it's really great that even the league is posting more stats now so that we can have like more numbers to back those arguments up. When someone says, oh, no, like she just gets beat fielded because she she's pretty no i mean look at look at the numbers i mean she performed well and she had like the toughest task which was to step in in in, into ruby soto's place so yeah i mean i'm really happy for her and i really hope that we we keep seeing her at that level i mean i know that she's like a very driven person so i'm sure that she's going to keep working on that yeah and then you know she had also lost her mom and you know she wasn't in the best soccer shape when she came back from um the exathlon so, you know, it's good to see her making a comeback. Yeah, I mean, that's also, like, the other part. Like, we sometimes miss, like, the, the the human aspect of the players. And also, like, something that people tend to forget is that when she left, like, that was the team's worst season. They weren't performing well. The team looked really awful. And it was for everyone. And she had been coming off from injuries. And she was, like, really, really frustrated on the pitch. And when it was announced that she was going to join Exathlon, I mean, I saw people criticizing, oh, yeah. she's not committed, she doesn't care. And and I said that, I mean, if that's what she needs to come back, like mentally in a better place, and also because, I mean, I can't begrudge them for trying to find more money when, you know, salaries weren't that great. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how am I going, going to criticize someone for, for wanting to cash in on their job? I mean, that's like really dumb to me. So, I mean, I'm really glad that like I said, that she's going to do better and that she's like recovering those like technical parts because in terms of uh, physical performance, she's, she has always been there. Yeah, of course. And then, um, you know, do you want to just talk about the uh, Chivas and Juarez game? Recap it real quick. Yeah, I mean, we have, um, I think that obviously the most um, outstanding part was the attack, mm-hmm. which I think that's something that Chivas has been lacking sometimes. Like, they would just win, like, 1-0 or draw yeah. because they, they were lacking, like, that punch on attack. So seeing um, Maria Sanchez, Licha Cervantes, and Norma Palafox work so well, it's, like, really an, an encouraging thing. And, like, we saw that right from the start. At the fourth minute, that's when um, Cervantes hit the crossbar mm-hmm. out of a free kick by Andrea Sanchez. So that's what we, we are also starting to see, like, set pieces become an important part of the team's uh, chances. And then at 15, we had the first goal, which was, again, a free kick by Maria Sanchez. And then, like, the funny part was that Alicia Cervantes ducked to let the the, the ball pass, and that also means that she's really on the play. Like, she knows where her teammates are and what the best move is, and sometimes, like, the best move is to just not be an obstruction there. And then Miriam Garcia was uh, going to to hit the, the ball, but she missed. And then it was it bounced off Melissa Sosa, who is 
kind of sad that she got the own goal, but also it's kind of funny because she's actually a Chivas player on loan. So we gotta thank her for giving out that, <laughs> uh, double, that opener. So, double agent. Yeah, she can return. Yeah, she she can return anytime. <laughs> <laughs> and then at 19, we had the second goal, which came from a Maria Sanchez corner, and then Cervantes had had a had a shot, but it was deflected by by Ubaldo. And I mean, Alondra Ubaldo, she was playing at Toluca, and she's a really good goalkeeper. She's a really solid player. I mean, there there was only so much she could do. But she's like a really, really strong goalkeeper. And then it was Michelle Gonzalez who, who finished for the second goal. And that, that's also great because she also has like a really interesting backstory in terms of her being out with a really big injury for a year. And then also I mentioned that on, on the tweet for, for her goal, she also faced discrimination from a, <laughs> an Americanista bus driver. Uh, she tweeted that she was going to her physical therapy and she wanted to get on the bus. And she was obviously wearing like the team's uh, training attire. And then the, the bus driver told her that he was not going to let a Chivas person on his bus. And he didn't let her go into the bus, which was really sad. So I'm glad that she was able to to overcome that discrimination and her injury to, to score on her debut, which is like also like must be a massive confidence boost. Like you are coming in and maybe you, you are wondering like if your body is going to to, to be performing well uh, in terms of, of being holding up well. I mean, especially with a knee injury, you're always kind of like scared of what might happen after. But I think that's also really going to help her build confidence. And yeah. then at 34, we have again, Maria Sanchez to Cervantes, who had like a fantastic finish between defenders. And she finally was able to to get the first goal, her first goal, and so they went to to the halftime three zero. So there was pretty much um, done, or at least like as in control as you can be. And then on the on the second half, they might have slowed up a bit. I mean, they started scoring the four zero with an assist from Falafox for Cervantes, who finished with a header and got a brace. But also, I mean, we need to take into consideration the fact that they were playing like in really hot conditions. Yep. So also like something that I would like to highlight is that they were facing a team that they hadn't been able to score a lot on. I mean, their last two meetings were 0-0 and 1-0. And also like seeing them be able to to remain that fast and that physical in the heat, I think it's also like a really positive uh, sign for the team because, I mean, they were playing like a, 39, 40 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit, that's what, like? I, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, what you said it was, how many degrees in Celsius? Uh, 39 or 40, okay, let, let me do the conversion real quick. That was 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So it, it was like really tough conditions. I mean, especially if you're coming off from not playing a lot and like going right straight up into a, a really hot match i mean i think that's also credit to the to the physical trainer which i mentioned before um their physical trainer is mario dominguez who is specialized in women's football he was actually the physical trainer for the under 17 squad that made it to the world cup final with monica vergara so i mean he's someone who's like really up there in terms of of being up to date and being like specialized in women's football and also he's someone who I think 
is going to bring in an interesting skill set because World Cups have like really short recovery spans. And we are going to see that this season. I mean, there are several matches where they're just going to have like three or four days in between. So being able to have someone on your staff who knows how to handle those situations is also going to be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. There's a, I think we talked about it when we originally recorded, but there, I think there was two, <laughs> two double jornadas in this tournament for Chivas. Yeah, there, there's some yeah, two double jornadas and there, there, there are some others that have just like four or five days that you don't get like the full week. And something that maybe sometimes we don't, we don't talk about um, is, is that the Mexican league also has like a lot of altitude changes between venues yeah. and temperature changes. I mean, I remember the last time they played at Juarez, it was January and it was like really, really cold. So they, they went to Juarez and it, and it was really cold and they went again and it was super hot. So those things like they factor in and with the traveling, it also starts to take a toll on the on the team as the season goes on. Yeah, I think especially with COVID, they, they do same-day travel for games, right? So that's even more like jet lag and sitting on the bus to the stadium, stuff like that. That wears your body out too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also why it's so important that the team has a, a deeper bench now because they're really going to need to rotate players to prevent injuries. And also, I mean, like I said, the physical trainer, we did see an improvement last season when he was working with them already. I think I really think we saw less injuries. And even like when they got injured, like the recovery times were much better. Because I remember on past seasons, we would have like three, four players injured at a time. So that means that they really needed to step up in terms of working on that aspect for the team. Right. I think there was only one player that cramped during the Juarez game and um, in his post in his uh, press conference after the game, I think Shorty said he wasn't too worried about it, that it was okay. Yeah, it was Miriam Garcia. And yeah, I mean, it's also kind of expected. If you yeah. haven't played in five months and you step into the heat and then you play like a full match. And also I think that that might have had something to do with uh, Maria Sanchez missing that penalty kick at the 89th minute. Yeah. Because you must be like really tired. I mean, she was running all over the place. And then you have to, to to kick that penalty. And also, I mean, even if she hadn't hit the post, I'm pretty sure that Ovaldo might have gotten that. Yeah, it was a pretty good dive by Ovaldo. Yeah, I mean, she, she's, like I said, she's one of like the best goalkeepers on the league. And also, it could be that Maria Sanchez might be feeling some pressure because she hasn't scored with Chivas. Okay. So she might have that on, on the back of her head. So add that to the, to the weariness of the match and, and everything. But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to, to to come for her, that goal. But she should still be proud because she did fantastic, I think, that we are seeing like everything that she can offer to the team. Yeah, I think right now that threat of um, Palafox, uh, Miriam, and um, Cervantes up top is really, is really good. It's going to be fun to watch, I think, this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe we they, he has finally found like the combination of players that can really be like that explosive in, in terms of offense. So I mean, we'll see because there are also other like interesting options. Like you have Yashira Barrientos, who we yep. haven't mentioned much, but until last season, I mean, she was like the leading goal scorer, and she's also a player who has the ability to assist and to read really well like her her teammates' movements. So she's also someone who not only can finish, but can also help generate. So I think we're also going to see more of her on other matches as they rotate the players. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and it's great to have that depth, like you said. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we're still going to to have to see how Chore deals with like um, teams who are like tougher, like say America or Tigres or Rayadas. But in terms of building confidence, which is what you want on your season opener, you want players to to feel good and to to have that like belief that they can really pull results off. I think that he can really ask for for much more. I mean, clearly the way he set up the team, even though it confused us, confused us at first, he he showed that that this combination of players can work. So I mean I think that he he just needs to to figure out how he will adjust for other different teams and the way they they play. But I mean you really can't ask for much more for the season opener. Yeah, definitely. And then I just want to mention my favorite play of the of the game, even though it didn't end in a goal. It was that uh Cervantes run where she had the spin move, the juke on the defender, and then I think she tried to chip the goalie. Like I don't, I don't know if it was like an actual shot, but it kind of looked like she tried to chip the goalie. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to see really fun stuff from from Cervantes this season. It's going to be great, and hopefully everybody stays like injury free and COVID free, and we get to see them play together a lot more. Definitely, and then let's just talk about the the women's jerseys real quick. I know they did the release during the uh, Akron anniversary. But um, I really, I really like both of them this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that I was mainly wondering about the home jersey because, like, the men's design that was released first was so good, mm-hmm. and I kind of really wanted the women's jersey to have some of that because the, the design was fantastic. So they really didn't uh, change it a lot. So it it still looks a bit different than like the wrong thing, but it keeps like a lot of the good design elements that that the guys have. And then on the away jersey. It's kind of funny what has been happening the past few seasons, that I think that the women have been getting like getting like better away jerseys than the guys, even though like they take the same design elements, but I I feel like they have been getting like a better execution on their on their away jerseys because last season we had like the one that was all blue, and then this time they they had like the faded red and blue. On the sleeves from the guys, and then just put them like on a on a stripe on the front, and it's also like a nice throwback to the first jerseys, the the first exclusive jerseys that, that they had designed for them by Puma. So it's kind of nice that they're developing like their own identity, but it also doesn't feel like that much of a departure from from what the the men's team is wearing as well. Yeah, the the away the away jersey for the women's is like a thousand times better than the men's away jersey. I, I hate the men's away jersey, but that women's away jersey is so nice. And I'm mad they're not going to make it in, in men's sizes. Yeah, we, we need to start, like, okay, the petition for, for the women's jersey to be made in, in men's sizes and then the petition for those jerseys to be available in the U.S. Because, I mean, even here in Mexico, it can be tricky to, to find the women's jerseys. Uh, I had my issues finding them, and I hope that they improve their distribution because, I mean, fans really, really want them. And they really want to buy them and support the team. But, I mean, Puma and Chivas could really, like, pay more attention to their distribution and make it easier on fans to get them. Yeah, I think somebody on Twitter added us that they they saw the away women's jersey from last season and men's sizes at the stadium. But I guess this year they just decided not to do it, which which kind of sucks. Yeah, I wonder what's up with that because I remember I went to the Akron last November. 
November, December, I think. And I didn't see it. Like, I, I bought it, but it was only on women's sizes. And then the Puma Mexico general manager, he did see, like, our tweets asking for the jerseys. Yeah. And, and he mentioned that they were not going to be made for men. Because I know that also, like, Rayadas fans, they also been really vocal about wanting men-sized jerseys. Mm-hmm. But even, like, for Rayadas, I don't know what, what is it, if it's something with the club. But their distribution is like way better than, than Chivas. I mean, right on, on the day they launched, they were available to for sale and they had like even larger sizes and they had like the pre-designed uh, templates so that you could just add whatever player you wanted. So I don't know if it's maybe also that the club is, is overlooking the distribution because maybe they're used to the fact that we are going to buy them anyway. But yeah, I mean, they, we could really use some help, like in getting them to the to the fans. Yeah, for sure. But um, let's see, what else do we have to cover? I think that's it. I think we touched we, on everything, did we? Yeah, and also like the weirdness that the away jerseys between Atlas and Chivas are so similar. Oh yes. <laughs> I like, like that because the, it was not just the, for the women. Yeah. The Chivas account actually uh, was it the official Chivas account that sent out the the tweet that's like. Nice of you to celebrate our win at at, at um, Jalisco. Yeah, it was the, the official Chivas Femenil yeah. account who, who tweeted that. So I guess I, once uh, I see Rodrigo, the community manager, I'm going to buy him a beer or, or a drink <laughs> for that tweet. It was really great. But yeah, I mean, that was like really weird because it was not just the women's jersey. It was both the men and women's jerseys who were similar. So I don't know what happened there. If the design teams... Uh, for both Atlas and Chivas are friends or, or what happened <laughs> because that, that was like really random. I mean, maybe you can expect one to kind of look like the other, but it was like too much. I mean, I don't know what's happening there. Yeah, I think who does, who makes Atlas jerseys? I, I know it's not Puma. Yeah, they switched to Charlie. I think this oh, is the first Charlie. time they, okay. they have like Charlie jerseys. So that makes it even weirder. Like maybe the, the design person uh, he stole the designs and went over to Charlie or something. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it's going to be funny to, to watch that on the pitch. Nice. And now Chivas Femenil is in the Super Liderato spot. It's, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is, Chivas might turn into what Arsenal is. Like, I know Arsenal, um, the Arsenal women's team, like, is always really good. And then the men's team is usually, like, not, not doing that well. <laughs> Well, I mean, let's see if we can have, like, another title led by Chore Almeida and our Licha Midema. <laughs> they can take <laughs> us to another trophy. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it feels good to, to see, like, in the league's website, I tweeted that this morning, where it's, like, uh, top goal scorer, Licha Cervantes from Chivas, and then best offense, Chivas, and then best defense, Chivas, and then fair play, Chivas, too. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to last, and I know Amy has been making fun of me for being <laughs> over enthusiastic about this, but I mean, we have to enjoy it. I mean, I know it's just, this is just got probably going to last for a week, but it's also like part of the general feeling that the team gave us during the match that they they look like really relaxed and happy on the pitch, and you also you want results, but you also like want the players to look like that, like they're enjoying doing this. Yeah, of course. And then Chivas Feminine's next game will be against Necaxa. And now that we're recording a day later, we actually know how Necaxa did in their debut. They lost to Pachuca 2-0. Um, you have like any predictions or can you give us like a quick preview of what, 
what could happen in that game? Another four zero. I think. <laughs> no, I mean in the Kaxa, it's one of the teams that Chivas ha- has faced the most because they were in the same group before they opened like the competition. So they've always uh, lost to Chivas. I think they they've only won once against Chivas in all their matches. So uh, I mean, I'm hoping that they continue the the winning streak, and and that's also kind of I think going to play into the confidence of the players. Like you know that you can beat this team, and they just lost, so you can just double down and and try to go more on on attack, which doesn't mean that that Necaxa can't do some damage, but. I think that that the confidence boost that they got is going to be like massive in terms of of making them realize that they can really go for it on on this match, and it's also like their first home game, so they're also going to to want to, to win this one. Yeah, un- unfortunately, this one's going to be played at uh, Verde Valle, though, right? I think you said one or two of them were going to be Verde Valle, and the rest will be Akron. Yeah, it's going to be at Verde Valle, and I think that it's actually the only match that they're going to okay. get there. So, I mean, I think that they also tend to do good at Verde Valle, but also it's kind of weird because I, I feel like Blanca Felix, the goalkeeper, she prefers to play stadiums. I don't know if it's like a depth perception thing, mm-hmm. but she seems to really do better when she plays there than when she plays at, at Verde Valle. But I, I still think that there's pretty a pretty good chance that there's, it's going to be like a really good win for them. All right, well, there you have it. Uh, Chivas Femenil will be playing Necaxa on Sunday at 11 Eastern Standard Time. And now we can watch on the Telemundo Deportes app. Uh, Melissa, let them know where they can find you. Let them know where they can find your work. Yeah, well, you can follow the, the Twitter account at Chivas underscore F-E-N-G. Um, if you ever need like help or have questions, just DM. DMs are always open for that. And also, I'm going to be doing coverage for the team at Footmex Nation. And I'm going to be posting about that on my on my Twitter account. So you can just follow that. And also, if you want to know, like, not just about Chivas, but overall about the league, everyone who who's posting about it, it's at the Liga MX, F-E-M-E-N-G, hashtag. So you can just also follow that and, like, find more people who are covering the league as well. All right, there you go, and um, we're we're definitely gonna be back. For, we're gonna be doing more um, Chivas Feminine podcast episodes this season. You know, at the beginning of the season, we were gonna do it last year, but um, you know, COVID hit and cut everything short. But um, this time we're definitely gonna stick to it. So stay tuned for that. Um, this has been another episode of the Cubans of the North the podcast, and we're out.